Noon is the word of God as summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 6. Lord's Day 6. The mediator and deliverer we must seek. Why must he be a true and righteous man? He must be a true man because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. He must be a righteous man because one who, is, who himself is a sinner cannot pay for others. Why must he at the same time be true God? He must be true God so that by the power of his divine nature he might bear in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for us and restore to us righteousness and life. But who is that mediator who at the same time is true God and a true and righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. From where do you know this? From the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise. Later he had it proclaimed by the patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. Finally, he had it fulfilled through his only son. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the world is often looking for saviors. If there's a need, they're looking for somebody to provide the solution to the problem. Is Mike Babcock going to be the savior of the Toronto Maple Leafs? Will another prime minister turn us from national debt and provide a brighter future? There's always hope that this person or, or that group is going to be the solution to our problem, is going to fill the need that we have. But often the problem is that we're not entirely sure what that need is. Is the problem with the Toronto Maple Leafs a coaching issue? What particular political policy or social program has led to the situation we find ourselves in with regard to the economy? And so while solutions abound and saviors are touted here, there, and everywhere, there's never any certainty as to whether or not the problem will be solved. Now when it comes to our relationship with God... The need is obvious. At least, it should be. When we look into the mirror of the law, as we did this morning, the need is staring us right in the face. The problem is sin. And the Catechism has spent a few Lord's Days, two through four, outlining to us exactly how bad the situation is and how it's affected our relationship with God. It's very bad. As we read in the previous Lord's Day, we daily increase our debt. That is, every single day, we create more distance, more separation between God's holy majesty and our filthy rags. It's a gulf that cannot be bridged, we read in Lord's Day 5, by ourselves, by other creatures, by anything we can find in creation itself. 
We need someone to stand in the breach. We need a mediator. Someone to stand between God and us, Almighty God and sinful creatures, to break down that barrier again and to open the way again into God's presence. And so in Lord's Day, this afternoon, Lord's Day 6, we come face to face with this mediator and deliverer. If in Lord's Days 2 through 4, we're stumbling around in the darkness of sin and the darkness of our plight as sinful human beings, staring the justice of God in the face, as it were. And if in Lord's Day 5, we see this light at the end of the tunnel, well, then in Lord's Day 6, we are plunged into the glorious light of the gospel. It's in Lord's Day 6 that we experience the radiant love of our Father. Because what we weren't able to do, what humanly speaking and in all creation was impossible to bridge that gap, God has done for us. He has done for us by providing just the mediator and deliverer we need. Just the one we're seeking. One who was both God and man. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our greatest need has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel this afternoon. The gospel reveals Christ as the mediator we need. And we'll see that he's truly human, truly righteous, and truly divine. So the gospel reveals Christ as the mediator we need. First of all, he's truly human. The catechism doesn't immediately reveal who this mediator is. But first it provides an explanation for what we might call the job description of the previous Lord's Day. Lord's Day 5 ended with the question, what kind of a mediator and deliverer must we seek? And the answer was, one who is a true and righteous man, and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is at the same time true God. So the first requirement, if we can call it that, is that our mediator has to be a true man, truly human. And the reason for this is given in a very logical way. The justice of God requires that the same human nature which sinned has to pay for sin. It's a question of justice. Any other option would compromise God's justice, would compromise the just and holy character of our God. God could not do any otherwise because he's God. Sin had to be punished and payment had to be paid by the guilty party. But you might object at this point, saying, how is it just for God to punish one man for the sins of so many? And that's not an easy objection to answer. If any one of us were thrown into jail for a crime someone else had committed, we wouldn't say that justice had been done, would we? But we need to understand the logic of this answer from the standpoint of Scripture and of the covenant. What God reveals about his relationship with man from scripture. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, which is one of the proof texts for this catechism question and answer, makes it very clear. We need to understand the life that comes through Christ, through the mediator, in the same way as death came through Adam. When Adam sinned, he sinned as the head of the covenant. He sinned as the representative of mankind, And so when Adam sinned, all of mankind sinned in Adam. 
And so then the pollution and the guilt that, from that sin was also inherited by all of his descendants, except one. That's what God reveals to us in Scripture. It's not a human construction. It's not something that we have come up with in our doctrine. It's something that God has taught us himself in Scripture. And then in the same way as death could then come through one man, through one man's sin, that's the way life comes into the world as well. New life comes into the world as well through one man's payment for sin and for death. Christ, as the mediator, as the representative of the new covenant, could bring life to those in the covenant where previously there was only death. Because as Hebrews 2 verse 9 says, we read it together, Christ tasted death for everyone. That's the divine logic that's revealed to us in Scripture. We may not understand it fully. We may not be able to wrap our minds around it. It may not fit even with our own human sense of justice, but we accept it in faith because that's the way God has revealed it. This is his plan of salvation. This is his plan for justice, even though what would have been simply just and righteous on God's part could have been pouring out his wrath on each and every one of us. But we shouldn't treat this Lord's Day like it's just some exercise in divine logic, like a mathematics exercise, because that's not the way the Bible treats it either. God revealed his divine plan to provide just this mediator, just this deliverer we needed in glorious and wonderful ways. Question and answer 19, the last one of our Lord's Day, makes that very clear. We can trace this divine plan, this divine justice throughout Scripture. And it starts at the very beginning. Immediately after Adam and Eve rejected life with God, the promise came. Now, if you're parents, you'll know that disciplining in love is difficult at the best of times. But especially right after the offense, when your child has disobeyed, that moment of disobedience is the most difficult time for the parent. You need space to get over it in a sense. But God, immediately after Adam had sinned, had rejected life with him, had rejected all that he had provided him in creation and everything else, God comes to his people in the garden. And he comes not with judgment, not just with the curse, but also the solution for the greatest need that was now there for mankind. So God comes to his precious image bearers right after they rebel against him, and he gives an incredible promise. Sin and death are going to be an inescapable part of human existence. There's no going back. The curse has been unleashed on creation. But one of Adam and Eve's descendants, one from among the billions of descendants who came from this first couple, was going to provide escape. This was a promise, a guarantee from the living God at the very moment of Adam and Eve's disobedience. Somehow, a man would come from this corrupted human race who would crush the head of the serpent and free his people from slavery to sin. A mediator was announced already at this early stage. And we see throughout Scripture that this plan, this God-given need, or a God-given solution to our need was never forgotten. 
God never neglected his plan. He was committed to his plan of salvation, and he carried it forth throughout his history. And he revealed it also, giving hope to his people all along the way. Early on, he promised Abraham a son, a son through whom blessing would flow to all the nations. He promised David a king from his line who would sit on the throne forever. You see, throughout the history of the people of Israel, one special genealogy was being created. One special family tree was being mapped out carefully by design, leading to that one man who would stand out from the endless flow of sin and misery. And so in time, this promised child was born. He was truly human. He had that genealogy that could be recorded in Scripture. He was in the womb for nine months, just like most of us, I presume, were. His family awaited his arrival with just as much anticipation as you've awaited the arrival of children and grandchildren, nephews and nieces, siblings. He had brothers and sisters. He had grandparents, uncles and aunts, cousins, neighbors. Jesus Christ grew up like any other boy. He cut his first teeth. He learned to crawl. He learned to walk. He experienced growing pains. He hit puberty. He became an adolescent. He grew into a young man. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He sweat in the heat of the Middle Eastern sun. He got dusty from the roads and from the sand that blows in from the desert. He also experienced the full effects of sin and suffering. He cried in genuine sorrow when his friend Lazarus died. He wept as he thought of the coming destruction of Jerusalem. He experienced the rejection of close friends and family. He saw the ones he loved most reject him in his greatest moment of need. He was a real man. He was truly human. And he's your mediator. He experienced all these things for you. As we read together in Hebrews 2, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. When you pour out your heart to him with your struggles and sorrows, he knows intimately, experientially, what you are going through. He went through this life himself for you. So that your suffering and your sorrow is not a payment for sin. It doesn't lead you further on down a path towards death and destruction. A separation from God. But instead it binds you to your Savior. His death in making payment for sin and fulfilling the curse that lay on all of us in Adam and Eve frees us. It frees us, as we read together, from slavery to sin and fear of death. When we are in Christ, we no longer need to live as slaves because we're children of God by adoption. His death sealed our adoption as children, sons and daughters of the living God. We are no longer under the curse. But his death could only accomplish this because he also lived his life perfectly. You see, he couldn't just be truly human He also had to be truly righteous. He had to live out that life 
imperfect obedience, perfect righteousness. The Catechism makes another very logical point when it observes that this true man must be righteous because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for others. Maybe this is the easiest part to understand. If you have somebody who's heavily indebted to someone else, well, you can hardly expect them to be able to bail out a friend. And so this mediator between God and man couldn't have his own debt load to bear. He needed to be without sin, without debt. He would have to be a perfect man. And we see how God revealed that this mediator had to be a truly human mediator, but also a truly righteous one in the Old Testament as well. When the Israelites brought their sacrifices every time to the temple, they couldn't choose the poorest specimens of their flocks and herds. God wasn't going to be pleased with just whatever animal they could, they could grab or the ones they thought they could, they could miss. He was not going to be pleased by sickly lambs or maimed bulls or anything of the sort. He demanded that every single animal that was going to be offered at the temple was without spot and without blemish. Only the best would do. And so every day, every morning, and every evening, and in between, the ground at the temple ran with the very best blood of the very best lambs and goats and bulls. But these were just a picture. These spot and wrinkle-free animals were just a shadow of what was coming, of the perfect once-for-all sacrifice Day after day, evening after evening, month after month, year after year, thousands upon thousands of animals were slaughtered, but it was never enough. No amount of blood of bulls and goats, however spotless, could make payment for sin. A spotless man was needed. And so when John the Baptist, as he was standing there in the Jordan River, saw Jesus Christ coming towards him, he cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. For Jesus Christ was the one without spot, without blemish, who could make satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. When he came before Pontius Pilate as judge, the Roman governor washed his hands of the affair because he knew he was condemning to death an innocent man. Before the highest court in the land, Jesus was declared to be without blame, fully innocent, truly righteous. And so he could be the mediator. He could be the bridge, the go-between of the new covenant between God and his people because his sacrifice was perfect. His own blood was enough to make atonement to cover over all sins He was a righteous man, the only righteous man. And we needed him to be that. Because it wasn't enough also that our sins simply be paid for. It was not enough for him simply to be born as a baby and then to die as a baby. That would merely have paid down the debt that we owed. But we would still owe God lives of perfect obedience, perfect righteousness. It's not enough that we simply have our slates wiped clean. Then we're just at at zero ground, so to speak. Our Savior 
needed to offer up a perfect life on our behalf as well. He needed to live in obedience to God's will without ever falling short. He needed to redeem all of life from the cradle to the grave in its entirety. That was the only way to restore us to our relationship with God. Our Savior did all of that. He accomplished it all. He came into this world as a child. He grew to be an adult. He experienced the difficulties and trials of this life under the sun, just as we do. But in all of these things, he was spotless. He experienced loss perfectly as a man. He suffered pain perfectly as a man. He died perfectly as a man. His entire life was lived out in perfect obedience to the will of his heavenly father, to the will of our heavenly father. And as the mediator and deliverer, he did that for us. He did that for all those who believe in him. As scripture says in the Catechism Echoes, Christ became to us righteousness. You see, we stand here before God. We can come into his presence each and every Lord's Day because we stand here clothed not in our own unrighteousness, not in the filthy rags that belong to us by all rights because of our sinful lives. We stand here clothed in the righteousness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He puts his perfect obedience, his perfect sacrifice on our account. He gives us new robes to wear, robes that are spotless, white as snow. And so when we fail to keep his perfect law, when we fail to be obedient to all that God demands of us, we don't lose God's favor Because he sees us through his son, Jesus Christ. He looks at us as those who are wearing the righteousness of Christ. That perfect obedience that he offered on our behalf. Hear this good news. The first Adam sinned and broke the covenant between God and man. And plunged the human race into sin and misery. There was no ordinary possibility of escape. There was no hope. Of getting out from under the curse of the covenant. But God provided a second Adam. A new head of the covenant. And this second Adam offered up his perfect life. His perfect obedience. His perfect sacrifice. To restore that broken relationship. To bring sinners back to God. And to present his own righteousness as our own. What a mediator. Do you feel it? What a mediator. Are you amazed by your Savior? By your God in giving you this Savior? His mercy and his love should shock us to the core. Because we stand here without any merit of our own. But it gets even more amazing. Because the true and righteous man who filled God's just demands was more than just a man. We see that in our third point. He had to be. He had to be. And he was. And he is truly divine as well. Our Savior had to be true God. You see, the the sacrifice for sin had to be of such value, of such worth, that it could not cover just the sins of one 
or two individuals, but the sins of the entire human race. It had to be sufficient to cover over all sins, every sin committed against the most holy majesty of God. The slaughter of countless thousands of bulls and goats could never pay the price. And the sacrifice of someone who was merely a righteous man could never offer up a sacrifice that was enough for God's justice. Just think of our own justice system. How do you punish a Hitler? How do you punish a Stalin or a, or a Morgenthaler? In Canada, when crimes are simply too great and too many for a criminal to pay the price in his own lifetime, they hand out consecutive life sentences. But they always feel inadequate, don't they? These multiple life sentences. Because we only have one life to live. Even when there's capital punishment, how do you punish somebody for the death of more than one person? Now try to imagine the sheer multitude of sins of God's chosen people. Better yet, think of your own sins. Just, just yours. Each of us. And each of which sins deserves God's wrath. The sheer weight of God's wrath, or sorry, the sheer weight of sin against God's majesty is unimaginable. We can't even wrap our minds around what it means to be sinful people presenting ourselves before a holy God. It's, it's simply staggering. And it's far more than could be atoned for by a mediator who was anything but divine. And so God himself had to provide a lamb of infinite value for the offering. Because Adam and Eve wanted to become God, God had to become man. That's the wonder of the gospel message. The mediator was God himself in the flesh. But before we rejoice too quickly at this incredible news, feel the solemnity of this moment. Don't forget too quickly the weight of Lord's Days 2 through 4. Our sins, yours and mine, made it necessary for the Son of God to leave his exalted place at the right hand of the throne of God to come down. The one who is not bound by time and space had to enter into earthly existence, come into being in our humble abode. Jesus Christ gave up his glory at the Father's side to be born in an enclosure for sheep and cattle, to live among sinful, corrupt, miserable, ungrateful people, and to die the death of a criminal in our place. Our sins made it necessary. Only the Son of God, only one who was himself truly divine, could bear the weight of God's wrath against such sin. Only his sacrifice could pay the penalty. And that's what he did. That's what he did. Freely. Isn't it amazing? Jesus Christ, true and eternal God, became a true and righteous man. And he did it for sinners. Sinners like you and me. And any who believe in him. He died as a righteous one for the unrighteous to provide a sacrifice of infinite value. 
But he did even more than that, actually. For as God, he had power not only over death, but over life as well. Our mediator is not only the Savior, the one who rescues us from death, but also the one who is the life giver. He was there at creation. God created all things through him. And now he's at work in us too, recreating, renewing his fallen creation. For in the power of his divine nature, because he was God, he could not only free us from sin, but he could also free us to live new lives. He restores to us, as we confess, righteousness and life. Where once in our hearts there was only death, Christ is at work giving and bringing new life. We are a new creation. He is making us holy because he has become our sanctification. And this new life, which he's working in your hearts as children of God, is nothing short of a miracle. We confess in the canons of Dort that it's just as miraculous as creation from nothing itself. This work that God is doing, that Christ is doing in your heart, is nothing less miraculous than the work that he did in creating this world. Do you grasp that? How miraculous that work is being done in your hearts. Do you ever stand amazed at God's creation, at the delicate beauty of a flower, or at the the majesty of, of the Rocky Mountains? Well, stand even more amazed, or equally amazed, at the fact that he is working in your hearts, renovating your hearts, that he doesn't only remove sin from you, but that he also activates your hearts again, recreates you, so that you're image bearers again, as you were designed to be. He is able to make what was dead alive. He can make what was hard soft, what was cold warm. He makes it possible for a common bandit hanging on a cross to become a defender of the innocent. He makes it possible for a cowardly man named Peter to become a fearless street preacher. He makes it possible for a murderous Pharisee like Paul to become one of the greatest missionaries. And what about you? What about you? What were you? What are you? Do you recognize the new life Christ is working in your hearts? Do you ask him for it daily? You see, your mediator, Jesus Christ, he doesn't just free you from sin to leave you on some sort of neutral place. He frees you so that you are free to live a new life of thankfulness. A new life of thankfulness for all that he has done for you and in you. He can fulfill our greatest needs. He can free us from the sin and misery in which we live because he is God's perfect solution. He satisfies all the requirements and he gives us new life. What a mediator. Amen.